Amen. Good morning, Olive Branch. This is sort of weird for me because I get to dismiss the junior high and high schoolers. <laughs> Bye, guys. Truth be told, it's not that I don't want them in here. I just, only, I just have so many jokes, you know what I mean? I got to keep my content original for Wednesdays. Um, <laughs> Um, so I hope that everyone had an awesome holiday season as it kind of comes to a close and a great Christmas. Christmas is always that time that you and your friends and your neighbors kind of have these under the table agreements that we're going to send you a lot of sweets and you're going to send us back a lot of sweets and we're not going to say anything to each other, right? And so holidays, you're just always eating so much bad food and stuff. So I wore all black because it's a lot easier than working out. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but, but seriously, um, I, I, I do apologize for the title of the sermon this morning. I had some people come up to me and they were like, so is this like a, like a doctrinal discourse on the sufficiency of scripture? And that's not what it is. Even, even Jean Brown, for those of you guys who know her in our staff meeting this Tuesday, she said, Chris, is the entire sermon in Latin? I'm so confused. And that's not what it is about at all. As a matter of fact, the sermon with the confusing title is actually meant to relieve your confusion. Because we really do live in a very confusing world during a very confusing time. And it's always sort of around the end of December that you start seeing in newspapers and magazines and on TV sort of the synopsis of the year. Right, you see the entire year uh, in a flash and they, they show you all of the celebrities who passed away and kind of all of the events that occurred during the year. And sometimes you even see some and you're like, man, that happened this year. I, I feel like that was three or four years ago, right? Well, it was earlier this June that a lady named Rachel Dolezal popped up on the radar. And for those of you guys who don't remember, Rachel Dolezal was the leader of the NAACP. She was the front-running activist for the NAACP. And it had come out in the media by her parents that she was actually a white lady living as if she were a black African-American. She would do her hair and even, even put makeup on her face and all this stuff. Now, when she was confronted by the media about this, she said, you know, I just feel like it's my prerogative. If I want to live my life like, like, like I'm a black African-American, I should be able to do that. It's who I identify with. It's who I associate myself with. And I should be able to do that. Really confusing, right? Now, a few months later, there was a guy named Bruce Jenner who came out very similarly. He said, hey, you know, I've been living my life for 55 or 60 years as a man. And I won the Olympics as a decathlete and got a gold medal and all this stuff. But you know what? From a, for as long as I can remember, I've, I've just associated with being a female. And that's who I want to be. From this point on, I am now a woman. And I am now Caitlyn Jenner. Really confusing, right? Well, what's even more confusing is the reaction from you and I in the media and social media and all that. Because where Rachel Dolezal was crucified for what she did. And people said, you can't just do that. You can't just wake up one day and decide you want to be black when you're a white person. Bruce Jenner was dignified. He was called brave. He was called a pioneer. He was given an award at the ESPYs. Really, really confusing. Contradictions, right? Our culture is so confused. Not only that, we have a, a, a conservative right-wingers who are pro-life, who are on the front lines fighting the war against abortion, trying to keep pregnant women from coming into the abortion clinics, doing everything they can 
And yet earlier this year, that same person who believes that every single fetus inside the womb of a, of, of a, of a pregnant woman is born and made in the image of God pulls a gun out and, and annihilates an abortion doctor. You have far right-wing conservatives who are pro-life and yet they're also pro-death penalty. And if you step in their house without, without their permission, doggone it, they'll pull a gun out and kill you. You have far left-wingers who are totally against white privilege. And, 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 and they believe that, you know, every single minority should have a chance to, to, to have a fair education and yet they sit in privileged universities refusing to give up their, their spot. They want someone else to. Contradiction. Confusion. We live in a world that is saturated with this idea of pluralism, that, that there's one religion that fits all. There's many ways to find divine reality. All religion is adequate. Truth has been devalued and tolerance is now enthroned. Our, our culture is totally confused. And as a result, the church is capitulating on these realities. We've taught the next generation this, this distorted idea of how to Christianity, how to maneuver each and every circumstance of life as opposed to sound biblical theology. And so it is with this very scenario of incredible confusion that we're going to look at a scripture that the Apostle Paul writes to his protege, Timothy. The scripture is out of 2 Timothy, sorry, the scripture is out of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 15 through 17. You've got it there on your sheet. And so amongst all this confusion, the purpose of, the, of, of Paul's writings are to tell Timothy that the Bible has the solution to your confusion. That the word of God is the answer to your confusion. Because the climate was very similar during this time in 2 Timothy. You know, we have ISIS sort of running rampant right now in the, in, in the east and everyone kind of has this feeling in this sense that the world, world is just sort of dangling, right? That there's no real real security and what's going to happen next and, and, and Christians are being annihilated and decapitated and it's, and it's just insane. Well, right around this time, 64 to 68 AD, there was a guy named Nero who was the emperor of Rome. Nero, it was rumored that he would dip Christians in oil and then light them on fire in his garden for his nightlight. This guy was the ultimate Christian murderer. He murdered his own mom. And so the church was really in this, in this state of confusion where many didn't even really know if the church would advance another generation. It says in the first chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey, all these, all these churches that I've planted in, in Asia and all this whole Christian movement that I've established in Asia, they've abandoned the Christian faith. And it's not only that, but this is most likely Paul's swan song. He's locked up in a dungeon in Rome. He's counting the days down to, till his execution. And this is the very last thing that he is going to send to his protege. And it's the idea that the, that the word of God is the answer for all of this confusion. It's the one thing sufficient, clear, and necessary to solve all of the problems within the church, external, both internally and externally. And so the word of God, the Bible, is the solution to our confusion. 
And Paul writes to Timothy, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, I could sit up here and give you the Wayne Gruden definition of, of what exactly this scripture, as well as a lot of the Old Testament scriptures, have, have, have congregated together to create the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture. But what it means is that the Bible covers everything. It is the solution, it is the answer, it has a, a, a roadmap, it has a blueprint, it is the game plan for every avenue, every problem you'll face, every circumstance you face, period. It is the ultimate solution. And Jesus echoed this very, this very same thing in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. There's two followers of Jesus who had heard the rumors that after Jesus was going to be put to death, that he was going to resurrect three days later. And these guys are walking around and they're kind of like dejected because they haven't heard the news that Jesus resurrected yet. And they're talking to one another and they're going, man, I just don't know if this is going to happen. You know, everyone said that Jesus, you know, was going to be put to death, and he was. And then they said that he was going to be locked in the tomb, and he was. And then they said he was going to resurrect three days later, and it's three days, and I haven't seen anything yet. Now, Jesus had just resurrected, and he was in earshot of this conversation. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 27, it says that Jesus walked over to these two men, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. When Jesus' followers were capitulating on unbelief, when they were teetering on whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, or not, Jesus himself pointed them back to the word. Reinforcing that the word of God is completely sufficient for every avenue of your life. It is the solution to everything. And so many of us have heard this scripture often, Right? Oh yeah, the word of God is, is, is breathed out by God and it's good for correcting and reproof and teaching. But I wanna challenge you guys to recommit and to renew going into the new year, your commitment to this doctrine. Because first and foremost, the Bible has a plan for your salvation. It's in verse 15 that Paul says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The purpose of scripture is to make men wise through faith in Christ Jesus. Basically what this means is that the Bible is just one big book about Jesus. From beginning to the very end, the, entire, the, the one universal thing, theme is Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted, right? God speaks creation out through his words, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. The fall of man occurs. Then this nation of Israel uh, goes on this great exodus through Egypt. God sends all these prophets to, to, to warn them of things. And then it's in the New Testament and the Gospels that Jesus is actually incarnated like Danny was talking about. The word becomes flesh and dwells among God's creation. Jesus is incarnated, he dies, he's buried, he resurrects for the sins of all humanity. And then in the Acts of the Apostles, that very message is preached. 
And then in the epistles, that message is explained. Jesus is explained where Paul is, is writing letters to the churches that he planted, de- de- describing the theology and the ways to live life and the doctrine and what Jesus was all about and what this all means. And then in Revelations, Jesus is predicted. And so the entire word of God in its absolute entirety is about Jesus and it's for the purpose of our salvation. Now, how does the word of God save people? It saves them because it deals with their sin. And sin is the one universal thing that all world religions acknowledge and accept. They just call it different things. Christianity calls it sin. Eastern religions, they call it karma. Atheists, survival of the fittest. Right? Uh, 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 You know, mysticism, you know, is like uh, negative energy or whatever you want to call it. But everyone agrees that human beings are broken and that the universe is broken. And the Bible provides a blueprint for how to deal with that. See, when you sin, you render yourself eternally separated from God. And there's nothing good that you can do to make up for that sin. But Jesus comes, bears that burned, and bridges the gap so that you and I could spend eternity in heaven. And it's that very message that the, that the Bible brings to life. In John 3, 16 through 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The purpose of this word is to make you wise for salvation to believe in the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And this word has power all in itself. Just merely speaking the word of God has power. I want to tell you guys a story about the the, the sufficiency of the Bible. In regards to salvation, when I was at USC, there was a guy on our team named Ben Malcolmson. Now, Ben was uh, sort of like our team manager, um, and, and he would also write for the Daily Trojan. And right in 2008, when USC was, was, was ranked like number one in the nation, we had just won a Rose Bowl, and we're on our way to winning, winning another Rose Bowl, Ben thought that, uh, you know what, you know what I want to do? I want to... Um, write an article and I want to follow some of the walk-ons that are trying out for this team, right? Some of these just ordinary guys that are, that are, that are laying themselves out there to try out for the number one team in the country. I want to sort of uh, uh, write a little, uh, 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 tra- you know, article um, uh, following these guys. And so he's, he's getting ready to do that. And then he gets the idea, hey, you know what? I'm going to try out for the team myself and I'll write a first person view of the article. So he goes out to the, the um, tryout. You know, it's like a week-long process. They bring you out there and you run like a 40 the first day and then they have, have you do drills and stuff like that. Lo and behold, a week goes by. He gets a call from Pete Carroll. He makes the team, okay? I, this, is a real, this is a true story. I, I kid you not. He makes the team and he's like, oh my gosh. He played high school in football, but he quit. He never played his senior year. And here he is, a backup quarterback on the USC Trojans, ranked number one in the nation. And he's going, what the heck am I doing here? But he was a strong follower in Christ. And so he knew that God had a purpose for putting him on the USC team. So he went down into his dorm and he was like, okay, what can I do for God on this football team? He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put signs all around the locker room and I'm going to invite everybody to a Bible study. 
And I remember this. This was like two weeks before the Rose Bowl in 2008. And all these signs were up. Hey, Bible study in room 209. Ben Malcolmson reserved a room, so on and so forth. Well, Ben shows up to the Bible study and nobody's there. And he's totally dejected. He's like, dang, man. You know, I thought God was going to do something through me here or whatever, you know, yada, yada, yada. So then the week before the Rose Bowl, he gets another idea. He goes, hey, you know what? My, his grandpa worked for the company that manufactures the Bibles that are under our seats. And so he contacts his grandpa and he says, hey, Gramps, you know, send me like 110 Bibles. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to place them on every locker so that when guys walk into the locker room, there's just a Bible there. And he wrote like a little note. And I, and, and I remember this. And so he walks into the locker room and there's pages ripped out. Bibles in the trash can. Just a disaster. He's totally dejected. Now fast forward three years. Ben is now the social media uh, guy for Pete Carroll at the Seattle Seahawks. Still a strong believer in Christ. And he's highly involved in ministry. And so he's speaking at a church up in Seattle. And he runs into one of my other former teammates, a tight end named Jimmy Miller. And he's telling Jimmy about, you know, man, I just thought God was going to use me when I was at USC and I did this whole thing with the Bibles and so on and so forth. And Jimmy goes, wait, I remember that day. And Jimmy was our long snapper on punt. So, so he would always come out to practice a little late. And Jimmy says, I remember that day. I was running out to practice late and I heard someone fumbling around in the back, turning pages of the Bible. So Jimmy goes and confronts this guy and, 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 and he hears someone say, hey, how do you use this thing anyways? And Jimmy runs over there, sits down next to one of our kickers, and leads him to Christ right there. Two weeks later, that very kicker, Mario Danello, dies falling off a cliff. And Ben is absolutely floored to hear this four years later. He's like, oh my gosh. God used me. Just simply through me being obedient to, 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 to give people access to his word, God used that to, to, to bring someone to salvation weeks before their death. That's a true story. The word of God is the solution and has the plan to your salvation, period. And it has power all in itself. And therefore, we must proclaim it. We must share it. We must give it to people. See, this book comes to those who are blind and lost and dumb and, and just totally destroyed. And it revives their soul. It makes them wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The word of God is the foundation you can stand on forever, for every aspect of your life, but first and foremost for salvation. And I feel like that's where we get it wrong oftentimes as Christians. And what I mean is that we, we, we proclaim the gospel with, with hope of transformation first. Not understanding that the main point is to save lost souls. Transformation is, is the product of salvation. But you need to share the gospel with your addict son because he's going to hell, not because you want him to stop using drugs. You need to share the gospel with your neighbors because they're, they're, they're heading towards an eternity of, of weeping and gnashing of teeth, not because they, they, they fight and are on the brink of divorce. Their souls need to be saved. 
As a result, their lives will be transformed. But you need to share the good news with them. Spurgeon, when asked how he defends the word of God, he said, I don't. You don't defend a lion, you just let it out of its cage. The word of God has power all in itself, especially for salvation. And with salvation, eventually will come transformation. The Bible has the blueprint for your and my transformation. So you can use this book unlike any other book. And I want to ask you guys, and really I'm preaching to myself, do you read more Christian authors than you do the Word of God? Are you more into the Tim Keller book than you are in the Word of God? Because when you do that, you skip over the, the, the meat, the, 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 the spiritual liver and onions, the spiritual eggplant, the stuff that you don't like, you're skipping over and you're just kind of able to handpick what you want. You know, has anyone ever gone down to Sonics, right, on Rimpaw? There's something always super sketchy about Sonics because you pull up there and they roll, they, they roll out on their rollerblades, right? And you're like, okay, now, hold on. I have a feeling that if I wasn't so focused on your rollerblades, that I would be more focused on this food. And if I was, and if I was more focused on this food, I probably wouldn't eat here anymore, <laughs> right? It's like a sham. You're like, oh, wow, this is a cool little experience. We pull in and they rollerblade out and you're not focused on the food at all. That's like skipping out on the word of God. Whereas when you go to Chick-fil-A, it's just food, right? Chick-fil-A comes pre-prayed for. They have a guy in the back praying for it while it goes by. You don't have to pray before you eat it, right? Sean York's like, that's my secret, man. But you skip out on the stuff, on, on, on the stuff that is going to expose you. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who, who we must give account. See guys, when you're in the word, man, you are filleted open. You are totally vulnerable before God. That's why it's so easy to avoid. But there's nothing like the transformative power of, of, of God's word. And I can tell you from, from sheer personal testimony, where I am now compared to where my life once was is a complete polar opposite. Never in my life did I think that I would be preaching the last sermon of the year 2015 up here with my girlfriend singing my favorite worship song, ever. It was the very last thing I ever expected. But God's word met me in a place where I was so broken and depressed and lost and said, for I know the plans I have for you, Chris, they're plans for good, not for evil, so that you would have a future and a hope. And that truth transformed my life in such a way that it will never go back. The word is God breathed. He spoke out the very scriptures into existence, right? 66 different books, all the different authors, and not one contradiction, not one error in continuity, 
But it all came together over thousands of years. And it all supplements itself. It's all locked in and secure. In verse 16, Paul writes that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. It's useful for teaching, right? For teaching people what is doctrinally correct. Why is it that as a Christian, you're pro-life, but you're also pro-death penalty? Do you understand? Because that sounds like a contradiction in my head. Logically, that doesn't fit. But it does biblically. Do you understand why? And if you don't, why are you just hopping onto the conservative Christian bandwagon? You know, I, 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 I see Christian families all the time that they, they preach morality in the home. They don't want their kids to swear. They don't want their kids to tear each other down, right? They want to have uh, kids that are, that are decent and filled with integrity and character. But on their Facebooks, they go, I could vote for Trump, you know, I could see that. It's like, what? <laughs> Contradiction, you know, confusion, The word of God will teach you how to be grounded and consistent on the precepts and the principles that God has laid out before us. Know what you believe and why you believe it so that you can defend it, so that you can proclaim it, so that you can share it because it has transformative power. The word of God is useful for rebuking, for correcting error, for pointing out the wrong. Pointing out the wrong and correcting error is a good thing, you guys. And I am thankful that we are in a church where our pastor is not scared to correct and point out error. Because a lot of churches sit back and, you know, go, you know, we're the progressive, peaceable, uh, you know, just cool church. And we just want you to know that you're fine and everything's going to be okay. You know, and you're sitting in the back and the one thing you know is that you're not fine or okay. And that you need to be corrected. And that the flaw and the error in your life needs to be pointed out. But you can't just rebuke without correction. Right? The word of God is useful for rebuking, but it is also good for correction. And some of us are really good at rebuking, but not good at correcting. Right? Hey, this is wrong with your life. You know, figure it out. You know, the word of God is meant to aid us in pointing people into the right direction. Hey, you know, this way that you're living your life, it's not, it's not, it's not about, it's not Christ-like, man. Let me show you that, let me help you find the way that it is. This way that you're parenting, the way that you're, you're, you're operating inside of your marriage, that's not the example that God's laid out for us. Let me show you in the Bible where it, where it tells us how to be good parents, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. Let me point that out to you. And let me allow that to transform your life. The word of God is good for training in righteousness. For training us up in the faith. Right? It encourages us to discover what God would have us think about any and all things. Get into your word and, 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 and read about who God is. You know, open up the book of Genesis and find out who is God and how does he interact with his creation? How do, what does he think about 
about his perfect creation? How does he treat them? You know, the, the, the most stunning thing to me is that literally like 15 verses after men, after Adam and Eve rebel against God and invite sin into the world, as God is handing out the curses, the first prophecy about Jesus comes. That, that, that from the, the, the genealogy of Eve, that, that man is going to come and his heel is going to bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent's head will be also bruised. Like, like moments after man falls and destroys the relationship between he and God, God already has a plan for redemption. He's so forgiving and so graceful. But if you don't understand that and you don't learn that, that, that the, the, the significance in that, as a Christian... When you recognize that, that you know, your life has, is just full of anger and control, you turn to the white lab coat as opposed to the, the, to the pastor, the word of God. And I'm not indicting any sort of vocation and, or, 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 or taking some sort of stance. I'm saying, if you understand that the word of God is sufficient for every avenue of your life, that it is the absolute solution to your salvation and your transformation... When it comes to the spiritual things in your life, go to the word of God. You know, we're the, we're the most over-prescribed culture, you know, ever. People are filled with antidepressants and antipsychotics and, 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 and uh, attention deficit stuff. And just, you know, there's so much addictive medication and all sorts of these, these, these aids that are meant to, to, you know, balance out your levels and all this stuff. And it's like, don't you think that if you had a, a, a solid private prayer life, you'd have a little less anxiety in your life? Don't you think that if you were in the word of God, that you wouldn't be so depressed, that you would recognize the joy and the, the power of his spirit in your life? Now, I'm not talking about science. I understand that there are chemical deficiencies and that, you know, I'm not anti-medicine here. But let's call a spade a spade. There's something missing from your life and, and, and Americans just want the easy way out as opposed to going and being exposed before their creator. That's a cop out. This book is so accessible. I mean, go rent a room out in a Motel 6 for 40 bucks and there's one in the, the drawer, you know? The Christian church is the only place where, 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 where you could be a Christian for 40 years. And yet when confronted to lead a Bible study... You say, man, I'm not a preacher. Any other vocation or, 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 or area of life, 30 or 40 years of experience warrants an expert, an absolute expert. But in the church, we're like, no, I'm good. I'm no preacher, man. I don't really know much. You know, I just kind of show up. I mean, you don't need a seminary degree, guys. You could get in the Word of God and, you know, in 20 years, you could be an absolute expert on the Word of God. I mean, think about it. Peter, okay? The, you know, Peter, the guy that denied Christ three times, the guy that, you know, walked out on water and sank because he wasn't faithful and, and to keep his eyes on Christ. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, has 3,000 people gather around him to hear him speak. He must have been more confused than anybody when they all looked at him and he just looked at his friends and they said, I don't know, tell him what Jesus said, I guess, you know. <laughs> and what happens? 3,000 people are brought and added to the church that day, it says. Because of his faithfulness to simply proclaim God's word. 
I want to I want to read you guys uh, uh, from Psalm chapter one verses one through four. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. The psalmist lays out just an incredible image of somebody who is grounded in God's word. Somebody who meditates on God's word day and night, who has it living and flowing through their being. Psalm chapter one, verses one through four says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Blessed is the man who pays no attention to secular self-help, or sits down with his sinful friends and approves the things they do, Blessed is the man who doesn't buy into to all of the, 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 the worldly self-help that, that, that our culture is trying to, to sell us. But who instead meditates on God's law day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaves do not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, what chaff is, since none of you guys are farmers, I, uh, I assume, right? Chaff is when you're shoveling wheat, you know, and as you toss it, the stuff that the wind carries and blows away, that's chaff. And what the psalmist is saying is that, is, is that the guy that, that, that doesn't meditate on the word of God, but that sits with scoffers, and approves sinners, and is just, just sort of this flimsy thing, right? Just tossed and blown like a wave, you know, just, just, just sort of jumps on the bandwagon, oh, that sounds good, I'll do that. You know, I don't really have any integrity, I don't, I don't really stand for anything, right? If you, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. That's the guy, but the guy that meditates on God's word day and night, is planted firm. I mean, imagine a giant oak tree with just these huge roots wound into the ground next to this stream that just is feeding it life and, and this tree is bearing fruit and it has vibrant color. And even though storms come, it tosses and it turns and it's bent, but it never breaks. It provides shade to the people next to it. It bears fruit to those around it. It's peaceful, it's useful, it's grounded and it's firm. That's the man that meditates on the word of God. And so I wanna encourage you guys to renew your commitment to the fact that the, that the, that the Bible is, is sufficient for everything. Sufficient for absolutely everything. It, it, inside the word of God are all the precepts, the principles, the rules, the laws, and everything on how to live your life the way that God wants you to live your life, according to his laws and precepts. And recommit to proclaiming that word. Right? There's people all around you that God has strategically placed in your lives, or down the street from you, or the person next to you in your office that he has placed there so that you would reach them with the gospel 
Not so that their lives would be transformed, so that you would save their souls. Because they're headed for a real bad eternity. Now as a result of that salvation, yeah, their lives are going to transform. But that, should, that truth should, should revolutionize the way that you pray. It should revolutionize the way that you read God's word. The gospel is the only thing that we should really be talking about. In the book of Acts, there's a story of, of, of Felix and Rosilla. Now, Felix and Rosilla were in an adulterous relationship. And the apostle Paul, in chapter 24, goes to Felix and Rosilla. And he's, and, and, he's, and he's preaching to them. And he's, he preaches a three-point sermon, and his three points are self-control, righteousness, and obedience. And the word says that he, you know, he, he, he begins preaching, and he starts talking about self-control, and immediately Felix is like, nah, man, you know, what's, what's next? I don't want to hear that. Oh, uh, you know, righteousness is next. Oh, you know, I don't want to hear that. And minute by minute, they're literally being filleted open. Their lives are being exposed. And they're so aware of the way that they've, they, the, of the sin that they're in. And that's the power that the word of God has. So let's be bold, especially going into this new year. Stop turning to Facebook. You know, I, 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 I ask the kids all the time, you know, what is your truth? You know, like, like when you think of truth in your head, where do you go to get your truth? Did you know that Facebook is the number one source of news in the whole entire world? Facebook and YouTube? So you're basing your point of view off a culmination of what all your friends say and you're just kind of making a, a, an educated guess based off that. And really, the, 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 dy the, um, the dynamic has, has shifted. There's more adults that are actually on Facebook now, on social media now. That's where all of this stuff is being funneled. You know, turning to God's word is just kind of on the back burner. Oh, I'd rather read, you know, Tim Keller or, or John Piper. You know, I want his interpretation of what God's word says. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I, I want to skip over all the spiritual broccoli and the, and the liver and onions. I just want what I, what, what, what I enjoy and what's comforting to me. So I want to challenge you guys to be that tree planted next to that stream. Because the Bible says that in all he does, he prospers and lives a beautiful God-honoring life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for uh, just your word, God. I thank you that your word is sharp and pierces to the division of soul and spirit, God. I thank you that it's so accessible. I thank you that it's just at our fingertips, God. But I pray for a, a burning desire and passion for the content of your word, for every person in this room, God. I pray just for conviction. I pray that you would totally alter and redirect the direction of everyone's life, through your word, God, I pray that 2015 would be an awesome, fresh new start for everybody, that you would be honored, that your will would be done, not ours. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.